Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season four, episode nine, titled East slash West. Uh, you probably don't say the slash. It's probably just East West. Uh, Aaron, what'd you think of this episode? Uh, boy, I tell you what, the Fargo Talks Fargo podcast must have been eating their words because they've been predicting a Wizard of Oz uh, homage all season. And then look, look at this. No one talked about Wizards. There's no mention of Oz. Uh, just really, that, that souffle just deflated right in front of their eyes, didn't it? Um, sure. I mean, this is this is a good episode of television. Um, it is going. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the rest of the season of of connected events because this was you know we've been we've been talking about like man we haven't really gotten a satchel and rabbi milligan for several weeks since since the you know the shooting war actually started and rabbi took off you know what's going on with them and this is an almost entirely unconnected hour of action um with a little bit of a manhunt to begin and the climax of a manhunt to end and the closing out of rabbi milligan's arc i think Mm-hmm. Um. So, but on a on for from an uh, uh like an art, you know, like uh th- this felt for for Noah Hawley has felt very much like his of a, a, a piece of some of the dream like work that he did on Legion. Um, it's very reminiscent to some of the more aesthetic for uh, Cohen Brothers films. Um, it's it's got a lot of internal references to those. Um, because not only is a tornado. Obviously, one of the famous things that happens in Wizard of Oz, it also is the 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 way a serious man closes out the film. Hmm. Um, there is just a lot going on here that I'm sure we're going to talk about in, in terms of symbolism. Um, and it was it was a lot of fun to watch, but I I don't know how it's actually going to roll back and inform you know like like um, uh, aid our enjoyment of the the main plot of, of Fargo this season, which I don't think is in that dire of need of fixing, but. No, it is, no. you know, yeah, like like if if uh, the next two episodes don't close out the season in what's considered a satisfying way, I wonder if people aren't going to be thinking, you know, start using the word the the I word indulgent mm, uh, about yeah. this episode. Wasted time. They they should have been doing more with the the, the Josto uh, Gaetano yeah, stuff. Yeah, like Gaetano could have got another scene more of farts. Big Eyes. More fart. We could have used another fart, another epic fart. Like maybe as Rabbi Milligan gets sucked into, he just his, his bowels let go. I don't think anybody uh, except me would be saying that. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? I'm curious. I, I, hmm. I was not like super drawn in by this episode. I think after like the second watch, it was a little bit better because I was looking for the allusions to. Uh, you know, obviously, Wizard of Oz is all over this episode. It's it's a black and white episode that turns to color eventually. Like you said, there's a tornado. After a tornado, yeah. Um, I've I mentioned briefly, like there are some ideas that Wizard of Oz is some like political, like a socioeconomic allegory. Um, about like the switch from gold standard to you know paper paper money not attached to it, like that wow. kind of thing. And I think that's. Like, that's in here, but it's one step removed. It's like, um, this is more about race and division in general um, than it is, like, the specific monetary issue, right? Damn, New World Order, Deep State State had MGM back in their pockets in the late 30s. You heard it here first, folks. Apparently, yeah. That's a stunning indictment of of the golden age of Hollywood. No, it was was farmers and, and factory workers and things like that. 
So, so this is something um, along those lines. Um, I, I got this from Alan Suppenwall's uh, pretty good review of this week. You know, uh, I, I think he's he's my favorite television reviewer. Yeah, and he pulled out this um, this I think 2007 interview uh, to do like uh, where they were doing a career retrospective. It's like a 50 page manuscript of this interview if you go through it. And uh, this this the person interviewing them, uh, Elvis Mitchell, was asking them about different um, inspiration for some of their more like bizarre scenes. And they were talking about the KKK OEO moment from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. And Joel Cohen says, you know, we've talked about this, Ethan and I, that almost every movie we make is just an attempt to remake The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a really... That that was a, some a really cool insight about their career, and I'm not sure how facetious it was being. I was like, I feel like I got to rewatch all their movies, but like I watched a Serious Man last night after watching this episode and before watching it again, and I wonder if that doesn't actually track. Like, so to that ex- to that <laughs> extent, this like... is kind of like the homage rolls into itself, and like to yeah, to yeah. the extent that Noah Hawley knows about this quote, and I'm certain he does. Mm-hmm. The idea of an episode of or a season of Fargo all culminating in a like a, a, a not shot by shot but broad gesture towards the Wizard of Oz, I think, feels pretty mimetically satisfying, if in no other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you're right. I, I, I th- that's the thing. Like, I'm not. I'm thinking, oh, you know, are the Coen Brothers all uh, Wizard of Oz movies? And I, I'm not qualified to judge that. Like everything I know about the Wizard of Oz, I've read in other people's writings uh, in the last mm-hmm. week, literally. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm not even actually sure. We were talking about this before the podcast that I've seen the Wizard of Oz all the way through, like every scene. I remember the big scenes. I remember mm-hmm. tornado scenes and flying uh, monkeys, flying monkeys, and all like the big ones, like skipping down the yellow brick road and the Emerald City. I remember all that stuff. But have I seen it all the way through? maybe have i pondered its meaning uh culturally and politically hell no hell no mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. and you know there are bibles that have been written about this movie and i'm sure noah holly has in film school studied this film uh wizard of oz so if he's doing things here uh he's certainly doing things here that i'm gonna miss when i just do my cursory uh reading of it so and you know watching this i was I wasn't like super drawn in by the episode. I think there it's a very slow episode, first of all. It's a lot of talking, a lot of like strange setups of scenes, a lot of like this ethereal feeling of something happening here and you're not quite sure. It's like a dream world almost. Uh and so it's hard to like go in there and pick apart like what are the interesting parts in here that I should be paying attention to and what is just sort of window dressing. Yeah, no, I and and that you know to the extent that I doubt we ever see Satchel, you know, in in like something that's going to actually direct. Like I don't think Satchel is going to come back to Loy and like talk, you know, do, do a fifteen minute soliloquy about what he's learned on his way. To the extent that Rabbi Milligan's dead, and I kind of hope he is, not because I wished his character any ill will, but like, who boy. Uh, in fact, I don't think y- we're going to see Satchel again. I think Satchel's done. I, Satchel I is Mike Milligan, right. and he's going to wander the right. land or whatever. 
he's going to walk the land and we know like where there's little like we we can see the little blueprints of his personality sprinkled throughout this episode uh that's all there um so like that's the thing like i don't know that this will inform other than like the really broad conceptual notes about uncertainty sure um, and change that, and division right like, yeah Right, right, right. Uncertainty and like, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting parallels in that. Like the one time Rabbi Milligan does not tell Satchel that, look, if I'm gone, I'm either dead or in prison. And in fact, tells the counter lady, tell Satchel, I'll be right back. That's the time he winds up dead in prison, which I Um, I noticed on my first watch. And I'm like, oh, I'm so clever. I'm so fucking clever. I picked this up and then I go and I start reading literally every single person (laughs) on the Internet and abroad in our email inbox. Uh, on hey, the man. forums, on Twitter, everyone has picked this up. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I got yeah. what everyone well, got. Congratulations, w- me. Well spotted, because uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, it's it's still nice to pick out the the be like cap. Everyone's well, I got that reference, but yeah, I, I I think a lot of that stuff is cool and it works, and it's like, um, it, we might take it back into the main plot of Fargo, like these laws of unintended consequences, which I'm pretty sure is another Fargo title, um. I I think it might be interesting, but yeah, I I do wonder. You know, we got two hours left to close this thing out, and with FX, who knows? We might have two and a half hours left to yeah, close yeah. this thing out. Um, it is it is wild to like. I, I guess you needed to though. Like you know, Rabbi Milligan and Satchel had this very important relationship, and you know, obviously they're building Satchel into being the future Mike Milligan, so they needed to do justice by those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is certainly that. Like, if you just you know, like, what an exit for these two characters if this is indeed their exit. Um, so yeah, I, I I I but I do wonder. Like, yeah, two weeks left what what uh there's there's a lot i mean you know like um it's weird because i feel like this is the the nega season two universe or the bizarro because like um at this stage the ball like the bald move podcasters you and me had turned against fargo season two and everybody else was just Mm -hmm. all the more in love with it and I feel like it's weird because, um, broadly speaking, Fargo TV, this the big sub, the biggest subred for Fargo. I feel like on whole has started to turn on the season or dismissing it as the weakest of all Fargo seasons. You know, as I'm still kind of in gripped and engaged with it, but I do acknowledge that, like, with two weeks left, there is a lot of stakes as far as reputation, as far as does F does FX are, are they want to continue to invest in Noah Holly Fargo? Like, there's a lot at stake here. I think. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the biggest show in the world. Um... I, I, the the sentiment I've been seeing over the last few weeks is that this is the one of the weakest seasons, if not the weakest, um, with season three being, you know, the other one that's talked about as being pretty weak. And then this is my week, favorite. I, I, <laughs> right. This week, I thought everything changed. I thought people were really, really into this episode far more than I was. Um, hmm. But maybe maybe I'm misreading the crowd. I don't know. It's, and it I could mean, be selection def- bias, right? Like everybody who yeah. wasn't into this season has already left. And so now the only right. people left to comment about it are the ones who are super positive on it. And so that naturally you're going to get that upswing of of opinion. 
yeah, it's tough. And it's like, you know, if uh, I'm going kind of like by a triangulation of like what people are saying on our forums versus what people are saying to feedback versus what people are saying on the Fargo Reddit versus like Alan Suppenwall's comment section, which is probably curated to be kind of negative because I think um, Alan has kind of been like, oh, this is an mm-hmm. all right season of Fargo, but it's really not a Fargo far. And he's he's been a somewhat cool in his, his praise. So, so that, that, that could be. But I, I thought that like most... Um, every thread on Fargo TV seems like there is like beneath the two highest upvoted comments. There's a, there's a a good, strong middle current of, ah, yeah, well, but this still is not a great. And why isn't it great? And, oh, people are just saying that Mm -hmm. because it's got black people versus, oh, I'm so sick of hearing about, you know, what, what, what passes for discourse. But sure. Yeah. It it will be interesting to see what, when it comes to when it comes down to people's final memories, uh, you know, I know Fargo gets a lot, it gets a lot of help from, uh, it usually gets, makes a lot of noise in award season. So it gets that kind of like, you know, FX likes that, uh, that clout. Um, but there's a lot, yeah, there's, there's a lot on the line the next two weeks. What I'm saying. Well, let's get into talking about the episode proper then, Jim. Uh, we start on a scene of post tornadic carnage mm-hmm. buildings torn apart, debris, debris strewn about, and we come across the tattered pages uh, and, and dismembered pages of the true, the history of true crime in the Midwest. Do you remember this book and the role it played in season two? I didn't, but I read up about it. Sure. Well, what 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 you know? What do you know about it? Uh, so in season two, episode nine, titled "The Castle," um, this is sort of the framing device used for the massacre at Sioux Falls. Um, it's it's kind of how the episode opens. There's there's a storybook and the page is open and we it's similar to this, except the book is intact. <laughs> um, and then we go in and we, you know, explore that whole story. Yeah, this one is the mystery of who shot Willie Booper. Before, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. And who is the gas station attendant that works at uh, uh, Aunt, uh, uh, M and Henry's filling uh, station. Yeah. Which M and Henry, Auntie M and Uncle Henry are, of course, the aunt and uncle from The Wizard of Oz. Uh, But there's like, if you freeze frame and read this, this is like a perplexing mystery because this man clearly got shot and there's gunshot assailants, uh, their bodies spread miles over the crime scene. And it's kind of the rhetorical question of like, how did this happen? Now, I feel like there's a pretty weak mystery since obviously a tornado hit the place and destroyed the building and strewn the corpses miles around. Like, I don't I don't understand how this is an actual mystery. Maybe it's a framing device within the framing device of like, oh, we know exactly how it happened. But what's this? Let's just tell this tale the most entertaining way possible. But what, what yeah, was the, what was the. Uh, what was the weather uh, technology like the weather reporting and recording technology like well, I mean, the 1950s. That's, they, they do I guess they do sell it because old Willie's saying like eh, the new the the radio is saying sunshine but my bones is feeling rain but surely um, somebody would have recorded that there was a tornado in the area at the time right well, but and also the gas station was like destroyed like even like tornadoes don't they're not they don't tiptoe they're not bulls in china shops you know <laughs> like like carefully deftly weaving through to china they they leave you know 100 meter wide swaths of destruction when mm-hmm. when they, they come down so it's like i yeah but i don't know yeah maybe kansas maybe kansas weather science just isn't up to solving this this crime scene uh it's Seems an f5 suspect. finger of god um but this uh this dissolves into uh um Omar, the the boxer with the detached retina or some some kind of uh, eye it's, disorder it's, from getting hit in the head too much. I think it's Omi. 
Omi is his name. Oh, it's right? Omi? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, out uh, inspecting just the plaque that remains of the boyhood home of the person who eventually discovered Pluto as a planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the thing you're supposed to get out of this, because otherwise it's kind of mystery, is that Pluto is no longer regarded as a planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which underlines the uncertainty of uh, this episode, even in terms of scientific fact. Imagine that. Um, so he also, uh, we, we find that Omi has uh, taken one of, I don't know who this guy is, but I, I suspect he runs around with the Fada crew. He's one of the cannon Fadas. Oh, uh, yeah. He's got him shoved in, in a trunk, trunk and yeah, he's periodically interrogating him for information about where Calamita uh, is off to. Following yeah. this lead to liberal Kansas, which is already a lead the Calamita's following, and this is how I, this is exactly how I feared it was going to go. That you know this guy stuck a bag full of money in a wall, and he ripped out a page in a uh, phone book to remember it, and it's all going to just lead up nice, nice and neatly into to these guys meeting each other when and how and where they need to. I mean, it's it's fine. I, I thought like I'm glad they filled that detail in because it was really stupid when there was no real reason for him to have that in there, it's less stupid yeah. now that we know, oh, he had a bag of money hidden in the wall and he was just remembering yeah. where his money was. And maybe I'm being an asshole because I do think that Holly did quite a bit to like make this less of a accidental meet cute and like, you know what? This place is in the middle of nowhere. There's essentially one gas station on the way in and out. Any car that ri- runs on petrol has to petrol distillate has to go through and stop at this station so you can set a nice little ambush and then you've already got two to three that need to meet there. And then the third, oh, you know what? It's Satchel's birthday. It. I appreciate the fact that it wasn't just like, okay, there's this one town and there's a 24 hour lead and we're all just going to meet in some spot. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad it's, it's a little bit smarter than that. Um, so uh, Omi is, is talking to Willie, the gas station attendant um, looking for an Italian skeletal looking man in a red coat. What's we know that's Cal- Cal- uh, Calamita. Of course. Willie says there ain't there ain't much Italians. It's mostly farmers looking for Salvation Methodist versus consecrated uh, Lutheran. Something I I discovered in researching liberal Kansas again um, is that this is liberal Kansas claims to be the birthplace of Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. Okay, they have a small museum to that effect. Um, I can't believe hmm. that didn't come up in my earlier research, but uh, um, yeah. That's apparently the case. They have a whole whole museum, so there's there's a lot of nice little satisfying ties into this. Um, he wants to know if he can hang around and wait for Calamita, and the guy's like, "Well, yeah, if you essentially paint the gas station." Um, mm-hmm. And they do, and I and, and uh, I guess Omi presses this Italian gangster into helping him, and this guy does just a really shitty job of it. Like Omi's very careful and precise and doing a good job, and this guy is like all. And and I, I wonder if they're making like there's like a sly statement between forced labor versus labor that's like you know got something in it for him, got skin in the game. Uh, maybe I was thinking more like uh, it it doesn't. I don't know. I was coming at it from the race angle where like this is some white guy who's getting by doing just the shittiest job, and then you know the guy who is actually paying attention to what he's doing. Happens to be black, and so you know, uh, he's but, not, but not those, getting as those far attitude- as that guy. 
But I was, I, I mean, I don't know because I haven't actually read a lot of scholarly research on this, but I've always assumed that a lot of the archetypes about certain minorities being like lazy or shifty or whatever is because, um, you know, if, if they're not, if they're not working in fair conditions, like, you know, slavery or a chain gang, like the idea of a prisoner being lazy about picking pickaxe and a rock in the pebble, like what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. Like what? What is the reward for industriousness? Or if you're like, in, in, you, you've got no, you, you know, you're not, you're not working to build your own home or make your life better. You're just doing some kind of pointless task for somebody else. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's my I imagine a lot of people. Yeah, m- m- a lot of people might be described as lazy or prone to like trying to sabotage things or get out of work if if they were working under those conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a turtle parable. Uh, this guy's like, don't get me wrong. I, I don't I wouldn't mind seeing the colored folks get ahead. And he he this this is essentially um, like a a poor white person's retort to the idea of white privilege. Right. Uh, sure. I I didn't read it as that. I yeah, I don't I don't know what why I thought he was telling him this story exactly. Um but it's basically a Dr. Seuss story. Do you know this one? Yertle the Turtle? Yeah, somebody somebody wrote in and uh, okay. let, let me know the Dr. Seuss connection. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like th- This episode seems to be a mishmash of those kinds of things, like The uh-huh. Wizard of Oz and, and Dr. Seuss and maybe like uh, even an Alice in Wonderland sort of thing. Um, they, they, they've they mentioned Goldilocks in previous episodes, so like they do a lot of mm-hmm. that fairy tale slash you know, fable type of stuff. Um, and this is another one of those. Yeah. I, I, I thought that he was trying to get at us. Like, look, you and I have more in common than you think, because like you, you, you think that we're yeah. like one up on you culturally, but me, I'm the turtle at the bottom getting crushed by the fat cat turtles up above. And you know, um, that, that whole kind of thing, but they get interrupted by Calamita pulls pulling up. And I guess this guy sees his shot. Like this is his uh, moment to escape and he gets gunned down. Calamita, despite being 30 feet away, does not hear this gunshot. Um, <laughs> and we will catch up to this action at the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, because rabbi and Satchel are riding into town um, they're listening to a McCarthy broadcast uh, during the height of the Red Scare, and he's saying that we're locked in an all-out battle versus godless communism and democratic Christianity. And he's got 205 names of people signed up in the in, in the Communist Party, and it's just a dire threat to American ideals. Um, and they pull up to the Barton Arms boarding house. This is a simultaneous. This is a reference to Miller's Creek, which is in, or sorry, this is a reference to Miller's Crossing that's in turn referencing Barton Fink. So it's hmm. a reference to the, the hotel in Miller's Crossing, which is itself a reference to Barton from Barton Fink. Okay, I've not um, seen Miller's Crossing. It's good. It's real good. If you want to complete the year of the gangster that we've gone through, uh, see that for another another gangster film. And they go into this house and they, there's, this, there's this way of separating people between East and West. What do you think about this interaction with the bellhop? I mean, I feel like this uh, hotel or whatever it is, Barton Arms, is uh, America in a nutshell, right? And the division here between East and West is supposed to be, you know, not just city folk versus, uh, you know, rural folk, um, not just uh, a race versus 
one race versus another, but also like the rich and the poor. And like, it's all the things that divide us in America. And this is the result. This is the absurd, silly result of how that goes, right? The thing, the mechanism, it's like, it's like the turtle um, parable, the Ural the turtle thing where, you know, the, 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 the upper classes, I guess, the king in that scenario, the king turtle, uh, is using the poor, the 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 average person, for their own gain, and people are being crushed along the way. This divisiveness is the same thing, uh, and maybe I'm seeing that because we have never, well, well, not never, but we are going through a period of extreme divisiveness here in America, and that is very much on my mind day in and day out. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm seeing things that aren't intended to be there, but damn, it feels like that's one of the biggest parts of this episode. No, I think you hit on it. Even like Rabbi Milligan playing the role of a person who's like, I don't really care about any of this stuff. Well, we'll sort you into a side anyway. Yeah. Like, well, I don't, I don't even know what these things are. Is the one in California? We'll take you for that. Like, I don't, I'm not political. Oh, you're an Eisenhower then. <laughs> So right. like, I thought that was funny that like uh, a person who's kind of like a true true neutral and then Rabbi Milligan is kind of like that personification of the melting pot. You know, mm-hmm. he's an Irish kid that was sort of in a weird way raised Jewish that has adopted a black kid as his ward and uh you know even then he's being pulled apart in his hotel. Yeah. Uh, they explain that these sisters have been locked in a battle between each other. That's probably doing nothing but dividing and hurting their tenants. Uh, there's a white line running down the sides, dividing everything into neat. You know, this is like something out of a Looney Tunes. Yeah. Um, there's a man with boils undergoing suction therapy, which is another reference to a serious man. So the rabbi says he's got to go see about some money. The 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 get him and Satchel set up. Uh, Satchel's concerned with the the creepy looking boil man next door. Uh, Rabbi says he's just a man and re- reminds him of his stabbing lessons. Got to go for the thigh, gut, and the chest. Mm-hmm. Mine and was my him... mantra was always stab, twist, and rip. Stab, twist, but... and rip. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, what? Which one's that from? Uh, I I don't know. That's actually from anything uh, other than the first part, which is like when you stick the knife in, you twist it to open the wound more. I, there, there's some uh... movie that like. I thought, I yeah, I thought there was, was a young. movie or a TV show where they said something about stab, rip, twist, and rip. <laughs> Maybe it might have been verbatim. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Rabbi Milligan reminds him that hey, if I don't, if I'm not back, I'm dead or in jail. Hmm. Um, they never talk about what actually Satchel's supposed to do. Because like, if I it's just so, okay, sit in well, that room and this? read. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What is the what is what is the uh, the plan of action in in case of of the dead or in jail? Because oh. he's still stuck in Nefadas. Here, he's alone without any money. Like you know, yeah. I got thigh thigh gut chest. That's all you got to remember. <laughs> no, that's a good question. I don't know. Stab your way to victory. Uh, so Rabbi is here to visit the feed store, which we find out that he's hidden a $5,000 in the walls of, and he is shocked to find out that there's two brothers, the Indiana brothers, mm-hmm. Beechwood and Haskell, have set up shop, knocked down his wall, and probably taken all of his money and turned it into a, a home goods store. Appliances, furniture, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, this is the so, least interesting part of the episode, in my opinion. Like, I... Yep. I don't know why this is really even in here other than he needs money and he's got it hidden and it tells us that this is why he had the flyer in the Bible. I, do, do you have any and, and, 
anything it interesting like, to say about there's these no scenes? there's no conflict there's no conflict other than the central one without this scene and uh the the next scene like literally nothing interesting would happen except for the end of the episode and you can't do that so i'm guessing that's why i guess. you gotta have you gotta have a story circle in the middle of your story circle i guess yeah um Meanwhile, Satchel discovers a rattling and a thumping coming from the armoire, and uh, it's shot like The Conjuring. You think some kind of ghost <laughs> is going to s- spook out of here, but it's not. It's a rabbit. It's a little Toto-looking dog. Yeah. Um, it's interesting it's called Rabbit because he the way that shot when he gets out of the, 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 the house and then leads him down a spiral staircase, it does seem like Alice descending into a mm. rabbit, you know, down a long, twisting rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the dog scratches be let out, runs down the rabbit hole, and he encounters a man with a secret. who's taking secret drinks. Um, he, his name is Hunk Swindle. <laughs> Hunk was one of the names of a farmhand that Dorothy was accounted uh, was was acquainted with over on uh, you know Auntie M's farm. I think he was a scarecrow. Hmm. Uh, okay. Here he's an aluminum siding man, which I think would put him on the side of the Tin Man. But I, I, I don't know. I, I that's don't know. that's the I, I went through all the characters or the, all the main characters in Wizard of Oz. And I was like, hmm, which ones line up with which? And I have no fucking idea. I spent maybe I really 30 minutes think, thinking about it. I really don't think these characters line up one to one with anybody. And I guess this is where when I, you know, I was pretty excited about the, the Fargo Speaks Fargo um, theory, because clearly there's a lot of build up to Wizard of Oz. And, you know, we saw the next week on it's like, oh, shit, it's a Wizard of Oz episode. Yeah. But I was still skeptical about like they were trying to break down and sign like, well, Dorothy's Ethel Rita and the, and the Scarecrow is her dad and the Tin Man is, is the guy with the and I'm like. Uh, you know, and all all that stuff, this the predictive elements of like, you know, what this means and where it's going. And they're all going to have to meet the wizard, which of co- is, of course, Re- Loy Cannon. Um, probably not going to get fulfilled. Uh, and, it's, and that's one of the reasons like, I've you know, we've been doing this. Almost, uh, we've been doing this TV stuff about 10 years and ninety nine point nine percent of the time. These are how these big elaborate theories works out. Like thematic tie-ins, like, and this goes back to the, the leftovers. This goes back to previous Fargo seasons. This goes back to, you know, uh, Westworld with Rehoboam and Solomon and all that biblical stuff. Um, it 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 never, almost ever, pans out exactly the way you know. The more literal you take the theory, the more off it yeah, ends yeah. up being in the episode. For sure, and um, this episode has all the visual trappings of, of the Wizard of Oz, obviously, and and I think it is doing something thematically. Um, maybe this is a good time to talk a little more in depth about the supposed, uh, you know, political financial. Uh, gold standard message of the wizard of oz do you want to sure i, I can only I talk like, about it in broad terms because i don't okay. like i obviously i'm not a scholar um yeah yeah but as i understand it a lot of people think um and, and a specific author who has written about the wizard of oz years and years ago and i don't remember his name thinks that it was some message about uh when they were doing the switch over from the gold standard uh to something else right everybody was talking about what should it be and and we got to get off this gold standard. It's not working. Fiat currency, baby. To the fiat currency. Um, th- This movie or this book, because it was originally a book, was written about uh, that and all the political turmoil around it with with all the different characters being sort of representative of a segment of society. And the ones that I've hmm. got here is that uh, Dorothy, 
which may in this case be rabbi and or satchel, maybe both of them, um, is kind of the average or or I would say ideal American. It holds all of the traditional American values uh, within that character um, and, and all the things that like when you think of what America aspires to be, all the lofty ideas for America, that's Dorothy. Uh, and then the scarecrow is supposed to represent farmers who at this time were um, very much against uh, the idea of the gold standard because they were getting screwed by it, I guess. Uh, really? And they were looking to to decouple the money from the gold standard and, and move it to like a gold and silver standard. So each of those would have uh, equivalent amounts of, you know, uh, currency tied to them. This should have gone for the corn standard. So they'd, they'd held all the cobs. You in. know, you know, <laughs> if you could grow your own money, that'd be perfect. Yeah. Uh, so that was a scarecrow. And then the Tin Man, which maybe, maybe it's supposed to be billboard guy in this. I'm not sure. Uh, are the factory workers, which there was a lot of unemployment in the late 19th century, I guess, um, in factory workers. And uh, the Tin Man was supposed to be, you know, it's in the name. Um, they're, mm-hmm. you know, industrial industrialization mm-hmm. it's happening uh the cowardly lion i guess is supposed to be a very specific person who was a proponent of the gold standard i can't remember his name but really yeah uh or, or sorry not a proponent of the gold standard uh, an opponent of the gold standard or proponent for, i see of getting rid of it um the wicked witches and the sisters who own the barton arms i mean i think this is uh, a pretty obvious like connection here the the east and west witches um are, are sort of the financial and and or political interest um that were in power at the time so east would be like wall street and the west would be like industrialists right the railroad tycoons the oil magnates and you get a little bit of that with the oil guy in this right he wants to go out yeah, to texas yeah, yeah. and strike, strike a rich on rich. oil um bankers stuff like that and then the tornado is just representative of the political upheaval of the 19th century, um, and, and maybe in this it's it's representative of the the racial upheaval in the 20th. You know, where we're talking about the 50s, where race is race is mentioned in basically every episode of this season of Fargo, right? Sure, sure, <laughs> plays a big role. Um, and, yeah, and like I said, it has something to do with farmers wanting to the dollar to have both uh, gold and silver standards. And I guess Emerald I City, that, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I was, I was, I was going to say like, so how does this actually? Uh, okay, the character, the dramatis person, personana seems like it checks out, but how does the action, like the That's wicked the thing, witch, gets yeah. melted by? <laughs> by the well, average American's bucket of water? And that's the thing, right? Because like the the witch that the the house drops on. There's a shot in this episode where the gas oh, station sure, yeah. and its legs Willie's are sticking boots. out. He's got the boots and the striped socks, just like the witch. Like, I don't know. I really don't know. It's a very confusing thing to me, um, not not fully understanding The Wizard of Oz. But I, I guess the Emerald City was supposed to be Washington, D.C., and the wizard himself was supposed to be the president, um, who actually doesn't is revealed to not have as much power as you think. It's all, you know, the the, the witches, and, the, and that's why he asks Dorothy to go kill the witch for him, uh, that sort of thing. I don't know what Toto is in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Toto might just be a cute dog. In the Wizard Third of Oz. party voters. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's first past the post system. It's yeah, 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 yeah. It's causing all the parties are getting the rich witches all riled up all the time. Yep. So I don't know. That's that's what I th- that's the research I did and the connections I was able to tenuously make. But man, they're so vague 
they're so borderline connected that I don't know where to put that stuff. Yeah, and I, that's the thing. I really do think this is all more thematic and you know, uh, very very sketch rather than concrete lines and and you yeah. know concrete parable. Because even like you know, like uh, the O Brother Where Art is Where Art Thou is a um like a, a, a an Odyssey. Like a, a, a reference to that, right? Um, oh, is it? Odysseus, I believe so. Like, you know, it's got okay. the, the Cyclops and it's got the sirens and all this stuff. But like, it's much more an homage than it is an actual like shot for shot remake or it's it's yeah, like it's, you know, it's a it's an absurdist comedy. You know, this isn't. Uh, yeah. Which I guess is a form of great literature. But it, yeah, there's not these like one to ones. Um, but anyway. Uh, and I and I did, but I did the same experiment. I was trying to like, oh, this guy in the cap. I bet you know. Oh, he just said he's aluminum guy, so he's the tin man. All right, all right. Uh, this guy in the cap is wearing leather. Leather's an animal product. Uh, that's that. Maybe that's a lion. Uh, the the Roanoke. Uh, Roanoke. Maybe he he's the tall and thin. He's the he's the scarecrow. Maybe he. But I I just it just really doesn't. There then then you meet the 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 hero of wounded knee. He's got all these medals that kind of reminded me of. Uh, uh, you know, post delusions of grandeur, uh, cowardly lion. Once he got his his courage medal, yeah. And it's like, but but what does that even fucking mean? The cowardly lion's a pedo. Like what? Uh, it it, <laughs> it, it, it does. Thing, yeah. It does. It does kind of break down. Yeah. Like uh, it defies a one to one analysis. I'm gonna have to listen to Fargo talks Fargo to see what they make of it because you know they're ground zero for the tornado itself hitting. And this whole um, thing is in the backdrop of this hotel that's divided right down the middle, right? And that's that's the lens yeah. through which I was trying to identify people. And so I come away thinking, okay, the salesman is like the politician. Who uh, he's a smooth talker. He's making friends. He's shaking hands, kissing babies. And he's trying to divide us. Uh, There's the uh, aspiring oil tycoon who's like the industrialist, right? Who's trying to divide us so that we they can make a buck off of us, uh, rile us up, yeah. And then there's the preacher, which religion is obviously pretty divisive. Uh, They they do a lot of that too. But then you get to the old guy and the young girl, and I'm like, are are perverts trying to divide us? Like what's (laughs) what's happening here? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe perverts are the things trying to, to, to unite us. It's the one thing we can agree on, <laughs> oh, I think, as society, is that uh, pe- you know, child yeah. predation is bad. It's it just one thing that, from like, there and still build. still pulls well amongst Democrats and Republicans. Um, I I do think there's something interesting in that, like, uh, if we want to abandon the Wizard of Oz bullshit for a minute. Uh, it's much easier to pick out the elements that make Mike Milligan Mike Milligan, like his gift of gab, yeah, you know, uh, win flu- uh, win friends and or influence uh, people, gain yeah. influence and yeah, win friends and influence people. Uh, there's some of that. Uh, his, uh, you know, Mike Milligan's like economic concerns, always looking for the angle to get rich. You know, he, he gets it from his father Lloyd, but also this guy, this uh, uh, Texas wildcatter who wants to go strike it, strike it rich uh, in oil. It's it's a lot easier to see all the different things he picks up uh, to become Mike Milligan. Assuming I, I think it's a safe assumption that you're supposed to understand this about Satchel at this point. I think so. Um, but yeah. Uh, so Rabbi gets back and explains that things are not as he left it. And as far as the situation, he reminds Satchel to not do any wandering, draw unwanted attention to himself. There's this weird scene where, like, I think this is probably rich in symbolism, but it got overshadowed with all my Wizard of Oz stuff. 
he takes his shoe off, shakes out a rock, looks through the hole. But there's like, I don't know, the, the, the way the camera followed that rock, I felt like that was probably something. Hmm. But... I, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe some people can help us out with that at Fargo at BaldMove.com. Uh, then the dinner bell rings. Satchel's been wanting to eat this whole episode. They go down, and there is this crazy scene. You got uh, uh, Hickory J. Milch is the wildcatter. You got Pastor Roanoke and his mother. Uh, you've got these two wicked witches going at each other with their ear horns. They can't hear what uh, the other's saying, which is, you know, if you want to talk about modern politics uh, and both sides not <laughs> listen to each other. Yeah. Uh, you've got this major who's the hero of Wounded Knee, which Wounded Knee was a massacre of I- I- Indian civilians by the, 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 the fe- federal troops. So, like, that's all wrapped in irony, and he's clearly got this is his, not his niece. This is some child bride that he is ensorcelled somehow. Uh, the the pastor Roanoke is in self a mystery wrapped in an enigma because Roanoke, of course, is a story of this uh, famous lost mm-hmm. colony that the only thing we know about him is then uh, 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 scribing the name of a, a Indian tribe that they might have gone off with. Um, like it's, it's this whole fucking dinner scene is just. Uh, I don't know. It's it's designed for film grad students to to <laughs> analyze and, and and jerk it to. I believe. I yeah, believe. Yeah. There's even there's even a shot. There the the Holly takes a drive by at the Prosperity Gospel when uh, this one pastor tries to launch into a traditional giving thanks, and this guy takes over and says, "You know what? Uh, you know, uh, the, the, we we pray for for success and risk equals opportunity." And the preacher himself says, "That's some kind of cockamamie blessing." Mm-hmm. it's but uh, yeah does does it all you know add up i don't know um at some point uh apropos of nothing the major starts to tell his niece a story about goldilocks which causes carnegie man to jump in there and be like i actually read that it used to be witches not bears um this also ties back to milligan's father talking about uh in the first instance of the the sun swapping like you ever heard the story of goldilocks well yeah. this kid's been in your bed and he's been eating your porridge and he's been wearing your clothes to goad him into killing him um and it's about an outsider in search for themselves which of course is kind of like the rabbi milligan story like i said it's all oh, interesting yeah. stuff and it, and it connects but like uh it's also I you know what is it going to tell us about the future of Fargo? Probably not much. Well, the future is now, so it tells us everything we need to know about now. I, I was going to talk about that. The rabbi is also really upset about this sign, giving him uh, angst about his uncertain future, and he has this back and forth with this guy who seems like he's read a lot of philosophy books for a guy who just paints billboards for a living or pastes billboards. Mm-hmm. That then wraps into Rabbi coming back to stick up the Hoosier boys. And they're even talking to him in terms of being an enemy of change. And nothing really comes of that. He sticks him up and he gets like a small fraction of the $5,000 in return. I think, is Um, it it on the way here that he's listening to the radio and they talk about a shootout at the slaughterhouse? Is that hmm. when this happens? I didn't even. I did not even pick that. I did not even. I, I got the Joseph McCarthy stuff. I didn't get the the slaughter in the feed house or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember exactly when it happens. Um, it's before so he there, finds it, out that it's Rabbi, or Satchel's birthday. Is that talking about the Kansas City business then? It I think be, so. Right? Yeah, I think okay. we're gonna come back and see that like either a lot of stuff has happened or we're gonna flash back a little bit to to see the stuff that happens. 
Yeah. Um, so Rabbi's got not a lot of money left, but it's a good chunk. Um, I think this mm-hmm. becomes completely irrelevant by the end of the episode, though. Uh, meanwhile, an officer is hassling Satchel outside for no reason other than he's a black kid sitting in an automobile. Um, Rabbi comes and interrupts the process, and uh, the cop t- tapes in a front is like, how did you get stuck with this black kid? And he spins this tale about his buddy serving in the war, got shot by Germans on the first day of peace. How ironic. And the officer tells, clearly now thinks that he's the asshole, uh, but like petulantly offers this advice, like, well, if you don't want this to happen, maybe you should keep this black kid hidden, which the rabbi thanks him for his fucking advice. Um... And then Rabbi says, we got to get out of here because the things have changed. We got to leave right after the meal. Uh, Satchel says, well, can I bring Rabbit with him? Rabbi says, no, because he makes too much noise, draws too much attention to us. And Satchel is very depressed because he wanted just one thing of his own on his birthday. Do you think this is Satchel's actual birthday? I assume so. I have no reason to think it's not. It could also be a kid just trying to like get a win, you know? Um, yeah, I don't, if it Satchel is, doesn't seem like that kind of kid, but... Sure. If it is, if it is, yeah, I, I agree. But if if it is as it is, as they say that this is Satchel's birthday, and metaphorically the day that Mike Milligan's born, that's kind of elegant. Yeah, yeah. You know? They have the same, you know, fictitious and and illustrative and literal <laughs> birthdays. Yeah, that's cute. Uh, so this sends Rabbi Milligan into a tizzy because he doesn't, you know, his kid, he wants this kid to have a little bit of normalcy and he's not going to let him keep the dog. So he's like, where can I find a cupcake or a candy bar? The witches don't believe in sugar because they're witches. So the bell, the bellhop, I don't, I, that's not the name for this lady. Uh, the, the boarding house manager <laughs> says, sure. Yeah, the, the boarding house manager, uh, front desk lady says, you got to go to this uh, filling station, the only one anywhere near, which is going to set him on a collision course with Kalamita and mm. uh, Omi. And that's exactly what he does. Milligan rolls up. Uh, oh, he has, does have the, the, do you want to talk about the, the future is now scene? Yeah, yeah. What's your analysis on the final uh, way that sits with the the board, the board, uh, billboard guy? Uh. I, I like so I this is where I kind of come down as the billboard guy might be uh the tin man because he you know I talked about how in the early or, or sorry late 19th century there was a lot of unemployment in amongst the factory workers and he in this episode does the very thing that puts him out of a job right he he finishes this billboard and now he's out of a job he's unemployed as he points out um the irony of it uh yeah i mean the the I, I don't know he lays out so many possibilities here right what what could this billboard be about um to me it was it was part of that theme of of change like the idea that fools think things will stay the same um it it seems like so many people fight against change and that is ca- what causes so much of the strife uh in in everyone's lives Whereas if we just sort of embrace change and said, okay, how are we going to adapt? How are we going to figure out uh, this future that is inevitably coming? We could uh, we could avoid a lot of that. That was my take on it. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Also, the the episode deliberately connects Mike Milligan to this agent of change. You know, someone uh, that one of the Indiana boys says as much, like, "Oh, this guy's uh, 
you know, he, he he's fighting change or whatnot. We know that he is the agent of change because uh, he's the one that disrupted the uh, the 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 child hostage situation. You know, Ch- up up into that whole deal. Um, and so the like, season yeah, at large has been broadly about that. You know, like the the they set this up, they establish it in the first episode, the very first opening scenes, right? How the change has come through multiple generations. It was the Jewish people running it. Then it was the Irish. Then it was uh, the Italians. Now it's going to be the blacks. Like it's that change is inevitably going to keep rolling um, and you got to roll with it. Otherwise you get eaten alive. Yeah. And uh, there's also an interesting irony in that now Rabbi Milligan has his certainty uh, that he's not even happy with because he doesn't like the find the 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 futures now. What the fuck does that mean? And the billboard guys like, well, yeah, now you're I've given you your certainty. You're not happy with it. My future's uncertain. Yeah, uh, isn't that, that? I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, verbal play and concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milligan rolls up to the gas station, sees Willie's feet sticking out. They don't quite roll up and and dis- <laughs> and disappear. Uh, but you know what? It's in black and white. Maybe those things are ruby red. If you pulled them off and clicked your heels, you could have gotten out of here. Could be. Rabbi. Uh, but he pulls his gun. Uh, he sees Kalamita Cal- through the window sticking up Omar or Omi. Kalamita uh, fires a couple shots at Rabbi when he notices it. Hits him in the shoulder. Uh, he staggers outside. Kalamita follows him. Omi struggles to his feet and plugs Kalamita one. Uh, but then he dies. He goes down hard. Uh, and the rabbi is struggling because he's shot in his gun arm. He's struggling to raise his pistol with both hands. He gets it gets knocked out of his grasp by the tornado blowing a piece of driftwood into him. Sure, there's driftwood in the middle of Kansas. Why not? Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's pieces <laughs> of this shop, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fence posts. Uh, sure, it's flying wood, not driftwood. It's flying wood. Yeah. Um, and Kalnita at the last minute sees the tornado gets sucked up into it in pretty spectacular fashion, as does the rabbi. And in fact, uh, I I was starting to think, like, do I have a problem with the rabbi standing here in the middle of this debris field not getting pulled to bits? But then he got sucked up. I'm like, oh, okay, well, if he's not going to live through it, we can have some moments of poetic That's the uh, thing, right? This whole scene can be summed up as everyone gets sucked into the tornado. Like, none of the bullets, none of the gunshots, none of the showdowns, none of it means anything because they all get sucked up into a tornado in the end. Which yep. to me is like representative of that those winds of change, right? The tornado yep. is the the change that's coming, and if you don't get out of the way of it, you're going to get sucked into it. And uh, yeah, there's there's nothing there's and, nothing you could do against it. And from a purely Coen Brothers reference, like I said, this is literally the final scene of a serious man. A tornado approaching the the town is going to destroy the school that his kids at, probably kill his kid. It's a big big. You know, a, a serious man is just a huge, never-ending, nested uh, uh, parable of Jewish mythology and hmm. and Bible and and Old Testament Bible stories. You got David and Bathsheba in there. You got the trials of Job, uh, even down to three false comforters to go and give him advice and wisdom in the form of these rabbis. Like, there's a lot. There's there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but also, yeah, big fi- big big fat tornado at the end. Um, Satchel awakens on the floor, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Rabbi Milligan hasn't come back for him and now it's all in color, just like after the tornado and the wizard of Oz, it's, it's now in beautiful technical, technicolor. The Boyle man is quoting revelation about the alpha and the omega, this early, early book of revelation stuff. 
uh, says to come closer. Now, so, a lot of people pointed out that this is the exact same actor that plays uh, Yiddles Milligan, which was the rabbi's dad. Is it? Okay, uh, it's I the didn't same actor. Huh. I didn't either, but it's the same actor, um, and I don't know what that means. It is interesting that like Rabbi Milligan doesn't even seem to notice these guys. Like there is kind of some some kind of ghostly apparition quality to them. But again, I don't think like whatever theory you come up with, if it sounds good, it's probably going to be right because I don't think this is something that can be falsified. You know, like I don't think Mike Milligan's were. I don't think that. I don't think that Satchel we're ever going to see from again. Certainly not Rabbi Milligan. So what this does or does not say about his father and childhood and relationship and Satchel's formative, like I, whatever sounds good, it, it's 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 up to you to make it because it's 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 going to be choose your own adventure. Yeah, I don't really. I, I this is maybe the most confusing scene of all to me. I, I don't understand any of what's happening in this scene. Um, but I did see some people mentioning also that this kid might be the same actor as the kid who he killed, uh, who Rabbi killed. Yeah, and I, I, did, I didn't have time because uh, someone also mentioned that um, the Roanoke pastor was one of the Jewish gangsters as well, which puts oh. us all these scenes in like some kind of dream like uh, purgatory yeah, uh, bowling alley situation from season three of Fargo. Um, and the the one last fun thing for your theory crafting is Rabbi Milligan's dead da- dad, as he died, put a curse, a death curse on him, saying, yeah. "You know, uh, I'm putting a curse on you and all your children." I mean, probably. I mean, like if you want to say like like getting sucked in tornado, tornado, that's some curse shit right there. I don't know what this does with uh, Rabbi or with with Mike Milligan, mm-hmm. you know, to the extent that uh, uh, he, he's his child, which I think you it's, it's pretty easy to, to to see in these episodes. Um, you know, does that how, how Mike Milligan exactly is cursed? Um, I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Uh, there's also like the preacher, the Roanoke guy, um, holds like the they're folding up a flag, but appears to be the Betsy Ross flag, which is another oh. kind of like adds a dreamlike quality, uh, as well as the way they're dressed is very strange and kind of colon- you know colonial pre colonial time. Hmm. Uh, so Satchel is is unnerved by this man wanting him to come closer to him, uh, and he takes it back off to his room, goes to sleep with a gun awakens and finds that uh, he's alone. Um, Rabbi Milligan's not going to come back and decides to head on up the road, sees the billboard that the future is now. What does it all mean? Did you do any yeah. look into this um, Melon Mounds plaque that was no. by the uh, the Burton Arms? The Barton Arms, rather. The one that um, uh, Rabbi describes as just saying, sleep with one eye open. Yeah, it's uh this this uh plaque is to the Melon uh, this this family called the Melons who lured in travelers and beat them to death with hammers and buried them in the back which is a real life or which is an analogy or an allusion to the real life Bender Mound that's an actual uh cultural marker in Kansas. This is a family of serial killers from the late 1800s in Kansas. Uh, they set up an inn, lured travelers there, and then either beat them to death with hammers or cut their throats with uh, knives before burying them in their apple orchard out back. Hmm. Um, 
So there's a lot of like weird details that go into this. I don't know that any of them uh, connect in any way to the episode. Um, but yeah, I yeah I I, I couldn't find. It. I, I know that that's the illusion. That's a connection. Um, again, maybe it's uncertainty. You know, as a traveler, you 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 find a a port in a storm, and then they they turn around and kill you, violate your guest right, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, that's the episode. Sure it is. You can send in your takes to Fargo at baldmove.com. There's also a Fargo thread on our forums at forums.baldmove.com. And a lot of people took us up. We got a lot of great feedback this week. First up is uh, Facunda, who says, I love your podcast and Fargo. I want to talk about the Mark. Mark, help me out. What's the Mac? It's not a macaroon. Oh, it's macaron. Macaron. <laughs> kind kind that, of. I'm not going to say it with a French accent. Sorry. It's an Ita- okay. Well, we're going to talk I know, about that. I know it's an Italian thing made. It's it's made in France by an Italian. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I want to talk about the macaron the nurse uh, Mayflower bakes for Doctor Harvard because I thought found it to be a great metaphor. His favorite dish was actually invented by an Italian chef uh, for Queen Catherine. It's mistakenly credited as a French delicacy when it's actually invented by an Italian, the same group that was barred from entering his pristine hospital. I don't think we actually talked about that. Oh, that's true. That, yeah, yeah. He hates Italians, but uh, they <laughs> they gave birth to his favorite dessert that he mispronounces. So, yeah. Um, strychnine, the poison used by Nurse Mayflower, also has an almond flavoring. Okay, would I, probably make it yeah. dessert delicious. I could have sworn we talked about this stuff last episode, but I right. didn't think because I I I, I didn't um, I didn't get the exact poison, but yeah, strychnine. Yeah, it does have that 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 flavoring, and probably would. You know, be delicious. Uh, they close with the show is incredible. The storyline so timely, and the dialogue sp- speaks volumes to race in America and Americans' origin story and its treatment of immigrants. I agree. I agree. Thanks for that. Uh, moving on to Tom from Maryland. I wanted to weigh in on the Josto casting controversy. Contrary to those who don't like Jason Schwartzman cast as Josto, I think he is perfectly cast for that part. He got the part because he fits the character. Schwartzman's not great looking. Is that true? Is that a is that yeah. a uh, yeah, I think he's on the upper end of average. I mean, anybody in Hollywood is on the upper end of average, but <laughs> Schwartzman is on the lower end of Hollywood. Let's say that. I think I've seen him hot a couple times. I mean, he's no um, he's no Paul Giamatti, but you know. <laughs> wow! Shots fired at Paul Giamatti. Uh, he has a weak chin. He's not physically imposing. Plus, damn. his voice is not necessarily imposing either. That God damn, Jason Schwartzman, do not download his podcast. I'm trying to protect you. Even when he holds a gun, doesn't really seem threatening. All these qualities are perfect for Josto. I see him as someone who has had to fight the weakling label since birth. He's probably a skinny, unattractive kid who stayed mostly in the shadows. Are we still talking about Schwartzman? (laughs) (laughs) No, we moved on to Josto, but just continue to be. He's dead already. Stop the beating. (laughs) My God. Uh, as such, he didn't command a lot of respect until he grew into adulthood. Even up until the time of the show, he's still in his father's shadow. Then his dad dies, and boom, he's the boss. All these hardened criminals who have followed Il Padre for years, and he now the weakling's in charge. Note the not-so-subtle asides and challenges to his authority in the early episodes. Again, the Gaetano shows up and openly defies him. He's been trying to shed the weakling label his entire life, and now he's openly challenged by his brother. My prediction is that Josto will make a decision or do something out of motivation will lead to his downfall. Insecurity leads people to do some stupid things. Probably a safe bet. Uh, 
none of the men depicted as the heads of these crime families, with the possible exception of Loy, have been shown as paragons of virtue or cunning or strength. True. Um, so I, I, that's a pretty good, pretty good bet that that the, his insecurity is going to cause him to do something crazy. I feel like um, he's already done that. Like telling Loy to kill Gaetano was essentially that. It just worked out accidentally in his favor. Yeah, it acts. Yeah, it's because his brother is as a dumb as a screwball as he is. So yeah. he did the opposite day routine and decided to swear allegiance <laughs> to his brother. Sure. Uh, Paul, so that, that takes care of one side of Fada. Paul's going to shore up the other side. He says, you guys seem very frustrated by Gatano's first scene in Camp Elegance, but I can help. The reason he shits the bed, as you say, is not that he's, is, is that he's not used to calling hits. He's, uh, rather used to performing them. Most likely hasn't considered the repercussions of ordering the death of Dr. Senator, and as the episode description even states, he must pay the piper. He's realizing he's not the boss. I'd also assume he's completely day drunk in this episode, like he usually is at the compound. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know that we've ever seen a sober Gaetano. He's stabbing mannequins, and Paolo is sipping a drink on the sofa. A supplemental explanation, considering his most recent coming to terms uh, with his role in the family, is that Gaetano's history is part of Mussolini's death squad, either real, exaggerated, or not, uh, gives him a particular form of PTSD, uh, and that he's nervous before a fight because he's not a planner. But if he's thrust into a situation such as Ford uh, fending off Mort Kellerman's goons with high-powered pistols, his eyes go wide and he seems right at home. I understand the incompetence in uh, episode six seemed like a huge character reveal at the time, and it's crucial, but not as consistent or inconsistent when you put it into context because the bull is only strong when he's already on the charge. Interesting. Hmm. I bet... I guess that tracks that you can cow a bull and they like going off in the slaughter pretty meekly, but like you know you you, you openly defy him in a pasture and he's going to gore you. I guess that tracks. I don't. I don't know. I've never raised a lot. Bulls. A lot of animal husbandry based metaphor you got to lean on to make that work out. But uh, I I still think okay. Like I said, I can squint and see this stuff. I really can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I feel like it's maybe a char- flaw of characterization, casting, or direction, or all three that we got to really filter what we're seeing here through a whole bunch of like, oh well, he did say, you know what I mean? Like I I I, I find that to be true anyway. That uh, if if you if you're zigging and zagging, and the audience doesn't follow it with you, then either it's the problem with the audience. I have uh, a tendency to yeah think i'm just a dummy who can't follow the the what the clear tracks of the show's land on the other hand millions of people are watching this like you know and discussing it like i don't i don't think they're they're all dumb yeah you and me we're idiots but right. like there's right. millions of people millions of smart people watching this show got, they sure. gotta they gotta be getting stuff maybe paul's one of them could be uh, i just feel like i took a stealth shot at paul didn't intend to do that paul's certainly one of those millions of smart people watching the show uh <laughs> Charles R. has a ring theory. Ready for a ring theory? We've been talking about Ethel Rita's ring. Okay. Her mob boss ring. What's going on with it? He says, I would be absolutely shocked if Ethel Rita's life is not saved by Josto seeing her with the ring right before he kills her. Then he does not kill her and instead asks her where she got the ring, why it's from the nurse across the street, the nurse nurse that chokes you during sex, you know, Nurse Mayflower, which will close that loop. That's it. Hmm. That's actually really interesting. Why would Josto be killing Ethel Rita? I, uh, I can't imagine a scenario that's, where... 
Uh, oh well, that's, uh, okay. That's so a Loy's, good question. Loy's group just moved into the the mortuary, right? Right. So it's maybe the he's, base of they're doing a hit there. Um, yep. You know, like the slaughterhouse payback for the slaughterhouse, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and he's be. going. He's af- after most of the action. He's sweeping room to room. He goes to Athelita's upstairs. She's cowering in the corner. Holds up her hand. Mm-hmm. There's a. I can see it, and it would definitely connect the dots. But then you'd have to go with the whole. Did uh, Josto actually order the hit on his dad, or was it miscommunication? Guess what? The next email connects neatly to this concept. Ephraim writes in from Fresno, California. I think Josto didn't mean for Oretta to kill his father. Full Moon by Eden Abez was playing just as Josto asks Orietta to take care of his dad. The song was also used in season one, The Rooster Prince, when Mr. Wrench and Number was uh, drowning a guy in uh, the the lake ice. You remember that? Them slide that dude in head first and like, oof, oof, that's chilling. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's intentional to mirror that incite the inciting misreckonings between the two seasons, Josto and Orietta to Lester and Malvo. Um, could be I didn't make that musical connection. Um, and I, like I said, I I think it was uh, regardless of which interpretation is right, yeah. I will go down swinging that that scene is designed to be interpreted both ways or to have a question about whether he actually asked her, whether she misrepresented, whether she was going to do it anyway and decided why not. Um, and I, I feel like the way that relationships has played out since has kind of buttressed that view. Like there's nothing I've yeah. seen that, that disproves it. No, I definitely don't think he was asking uh, for her to kill his father, but I also think it was very ambiguous and I think they played it, you know, like you said, it was it was designed to be ambiguous, but they they might have been just doing that for fun or they might have been doing it intentionally because the fun part there is like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if this gangster uses his coded language accidentally and people pick up on that when he didn't intend it and go do something consequential. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. It's fun. Yeah, no, I, I like it. Uh, he also has uh, another musical side note. Monin by Lambert Hendricks and Ross is played by the jazz band to open episode five which is also used in season three, the law of vacant places during Ray's urine test montage. I love Fargo's use of music. I swear we talked about this too, but okay. Did we? Maybe. <laughs> okay. I, I Maybe I just had it in maybe my notes read and forgot it. Yeah, to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be because it was news to me, but... Uh, okay. Thanks for that, Ephraim. That's that's the Wait. song that's playing at the jazz club when Lemuel's there, when he's not supposed mm-hmm. to be, right? He's not supposed to be. He's getting pinched by the law. Yeah. Uh, Whitney Owens. Hey guys, I'm a huge fan of y'all's podcast. Thank you. Currently enjoying the Fargo one. In a new episode today, you mentioned something about a Christmas story episode of your podcast. I'm not sure if I heard it correctly, but I immediately went and tried to find it and it was unsuccessful. Um, I only went back as, as far as this past December. Oh man, you were so close. You were so close because we did it for last year's Christmas. Uh-huh. Um, and I think the best way to find it is to go to baldmove.com slash tag slash Christmas. Uh, or if you just search, honestly, if you search a Christmas story, bald move, you'll, it'll be the top result. I will um, say, I think you have to be a, a club subscriber or, uh, yeah, oh, I, think is you, that? I think you have to be subscribed to the club to get that. So, ah, it's premium content. A lot of our Christmas celebration stuff is for our club members only. So that might be another reason why, even if you found that it didn't, it might not have a podcast attached because you have to be yeah. a premium. So, uh, but Hey, you know what? Uh, free trial. You, get, you can get, you can That's true. download it. Use your thirty day free trial. Cancel it. Screw us over. Or keep it the for Christmas the Christmas stuff from last that's coming year. up. You know, like yeah, yeah. We're if, about to do uh, it all have, again. So 
a, a big, big Christmas extravaganza. Check, uh, keep up with all that at Christmas.baldmove.com. Texas Sandman with some yurtle to turtle business goes afternoon gents. Let's get straight to this turtle stuff. I'm not sure if you are familiar with this turtle story that Fada Man was telling uh, to Omi at the beginning of the episode, but it was a straight up retelling of the Dr. Seuss tur- classic yurtle to turtle. If you're not familiar with the, tur- the story, Yurtle as the king of turtles lusts for more power, so he makes more and more of his turtle subjects form a stack for Yurtle to stand on the top so he can rule all that he sees. Eventually, the turtle at the bottom, Mac, after asking many times for relief from the crush, burps and ups in his stack. Yurtle is plunged in mud and rules no longer. I think the story fits well into the narrative and applies itself well to the current social and political times with those on top crushing and exploiting the ones below to hold everything together. This reference also coupled well with the brief radio broadcast of Rabbi's Carr of McCarthy's speech referencing a list of 205 communist names as the country was famously going through a red uh, scare. Um, One error in the part of production, Yurta the Turtle and other stories, the book containing this turtley tale, was not published until 1958. I'm pretty sure the season takes place in 1950. Not a big mm-hmm. deal since I think the use of the story is good. Just a little factoid for your next game at Dr. Seuss Trivia. I also, like, is it not possible that, like, this is a like some kind of Aesop's fable kind of, like, you know, rhetorical device that then Dr. Seuss turned into a story that became famous? Like, I, I don't, I don't be. know. Because he, he didn't say his yurtle. He just said as a king turtle. So, yeah. Also not sure if this is a dig at our soon-to-be former Vice President Mike Pence, but the Reverend Roanoke staying at the boarding house corrects whoever labels his female companion as wife with mother, as he made a uh, Pence allegedly refers to his wife as mother. Oh, it's not allegedly. He does it in public, man. Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I, that could be. That could be. Said so the show. This thing's drive. This 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 show does drive bys just occasionally on all kinds of different topics. So, well. Uh, but 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 thanks for the yurtle lore, Travis. Wraps things up by saying this is one of my favorites of the season, and that dinner scene might well be one of the most Coen Brothers scenes ever filmed uh, for this television show. But the episode exposed the biggest flaw of the season as well. I like these characters, but there's so many of them. I wanted more time with Rabbi Milligan and others. I think some of the structure and pacing issues of season four had has come from this dilemma as well. I don't know what to say about this because there are a lot of characters, but so many of the characters are just people with names and one attributes. Like, what do we really sure. know about Omi? You know, he yeah. was a boxer, probably got hurt um, because somebody didn't throw in the towel, you know, um, and, and let this black man get his eye beat in. Um, you know, uh, who was the guy that got shot by Gaetano? I forget his his name. Um Antoon, no, no, no and not shot by Katana. So, so, yeah, Antoon. There's there there's a character that we actually got some some kind of backstory to. Um, but it was like in the last five minutes of his of a scene. Um, I just feel like that. Yeah, there's a lot, but big cast suit shows like Game of Thrones, where you're going to be there for eight seasons and yeah. have a bunch of intrigue, and a lot of people are going to die, so you need to start planting the seeds. It is an open question about how a large cast helps with an anthology like this. Because there's a lot of people, a lot of faces. On the other hand, a lot of them aren't important. Like if this is Loy's, if this is the Canon Fada story, then really, you know, Loy's immediate family, his sons, maybe his top lieutenant, Doctor Senator. Yeah. Those are the important people. Everybody, everybody else is like not. And then to take a whole season, to take a whole episode 
to concentrate on two characters that you're probably going to write out at the end of it. It it is it's a weird way to tell a story. Who's who's the guy that keeps saying he's smart, he's got brains, and he wants to move up in canonization? Yeah, unless they do something more with him in these last two episodes, completely wasted time with with Leon. Like I I don't know why we saw any of that. I can see him shitting the bed on the way up. I mean mm-hmm. that's uh, shitting his way to the di- I. I, I don't know. That's almost worth it just for that line of dialogue. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, mean, you know, I, I think you're right, though. The, the anthology, especially like a short, you know, uh, minimized uh, number of episodes, I guess is one longer than a lot of TV shows are nowadays. But that's not a lot of time to do that much with so many characters. Yeah. And that's the thing about like if this season is kind of morality play, um, it's not of critical importance that a morality play entertains you. It's trying to inform you or make you think about something uh, to instill upon you a principle or a moral lesson. So like, you know, Aesop's fables are not, not like head, you know, sit on the edge of your seat thrillers. Like, Oh, is the Fox going to get these grapes? Oh, he's not. And he's just going to say they're sour. Mm -hmm. That's because he's, he's, he's full. He just doesn't care about these sour grapes. Like, you know, so much of this story feels like it's just it's 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 telling us something about uh, America and what it means to be an American and what it means yeah. to be an immigrant. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I, if it's entertaining is almost like a secondary point. I, obviously, it should be because if, if a morality tales entertaining, it's going to be more effective. But um, sure. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what because I honestly have no idea. Like, I'm not like I. My vested interest is to see Loy Cannon succeed because I like his outfit better. They seem smarter. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this season's also told me that that doesn't matter. Like, your your individual guile and and intelligence and smarts only count for so much in America. Mm-hmm. So it could be that despite not have you know, despite being a complete idiot and unimpressive in every way, that the Cannon, the, 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 the Fada boys are going to win with their political connections and their extra financial support they get from New York and the, the old country and the resources that they have that, that Loy's group just doesn't have, uh, which yeah. would be America as fuck. All right. Fargo at baldmove.com is where you give us your your in-depth uh, Fargo takes, hopefully involving bluebirds, rainbows, tornadoes, uh, dogs and picnic baskets, and melting witches. We need to bring all those together in the next two weeks, or what are, What have we even been doing this for? Fargo at baldmove.com or on our forums, forums.baldmove.com. Uh, we'll be back next week to see how this thing wraps up in Technicolor with the penultimate episode. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. See ya.